All right, well, good morning, everybody. Um, Before we start, let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you and praise you for uh, this beautiful day you've given us. And I just pray now that you would help us to focus on the last sermon on this series in Philemon. And I just pray that you would um, help me to have the words that you want me to speak, um, that I would speak truth, and truth that can apply to all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we start, I just wanted to give a personal thank you to everyone who sent uh, myself and Amy cards for my grandma passing away a few weeks ago. Um, it was a great comfort to both me and her, and so I just wanted to thank everyone um, for all their prayers and for the cards. We've been in the book of Philemon, if you haven't been here. We've gone all the way till verse 18, and so now we're going to go from 19 through 25, finish out the book. Um, the first week... We have to do a little recap because the first week we talked about the character of one who forgives. We were looking at verses 1 through 7. We noted, talked a lot about slavery during the time. Rome at this time had about one-third of the population was slaves. There was one island near there where they sold about 10,000 slaves per day. Um, One wealthy Roman could own 20,000 slaves. And because of this, they were really scared of slaves, right? It was a fear that they would revolt against them. And so they dealt very severely with slaves. And that's important because when you think about Onesimus and Philemon, right? Onesimus is risking a lot to go ask for forgiveness from Philemon. Um, he's actually risking his own life. There are people who died for far less than what he did, um, which he ran away and he stole. Um, but we looked at Philemon's good character in verses 4 through 7, how he had refreshed the hearts of the saints, right? And how he had a lot of love and faith for all of the saints. And basically now he had to apply that love and faith towards Onesimus. And then in verses 8 through 18, we talked about the one um, who forgives, right? And so we noted that Paul is appealing to Philemon, right? Because it had to come from Philemon's own heart, the forgiveness. And so he's not commanding him. And we noted that Onesimus was his child or was his very heart, and he was sending him. And also how Onesimus was saved through Paul, right? He was formerly useless, but now he is very useful both to Philemon and to Paul, He was so useful that Paul wanted to keep him, but he preferred not. And so we ended with Paul talking about the debt that Philemon, or that he would take on Onesimus' debt, right? Anything that Onesimus owed Philemon, Paul would take on himself. And we looked at that and we noted how that is a good example of what Christ did for us, right? And that leads us, that was 17 through 18, so it says, If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has uh, wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account, right? The charge that to my account. And that leads us right up to the point where we are going to finish. So let's actually just read the verses. It says, this is 19 through 25. He says, I, Paul... Write this with my own hand, I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit um, from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. 
At the same time, prepare a guest for uh, room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends his greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, um, Demas, Luke, my fellow worker. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So those are obviously the verses we're going to take a look at. Um, so we tackled the character of the person who forgives. We also looked at the person who was looking for repentance that, through Onesimus. And now we have to talk about why forgive, okay? Why, in the end, why forgive? And so the first thing we're going to see is believers owe much. And the first thing is to the evangelist. He says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, first of all. Usually when they would write, they would have someone actually write out for them their thoughts. So they would be, someone else would write. But it was at this point, if Paul did not write the letter himself, it is at this very point, 19 through 25, he would have written with his own hand. For Philemon reading this, he might have seen a change in the way it looked. Is I, Paul. This was literally Paul was writing at this point. Um, he did that also because they thought, um, there's a thought that he had bad eyesight, so it would make sense they'd have someone actually write for him, physically write. And he says, to say nothing of your owing even your own self. And he says this to say nothing, which is an interesting phrase because he is actually saying something he's implying a great deal of something so this is better seen as not to stress the fact or he's basically saying philemon i haven't even brought up the fact that you owe me even your own self and this is kind of interesting right so philemon owes paul his own self this being philemon was saved through paul through paul's ministry through the grace of god right So basically, Paul is saying here, instead of, remember last week we talked about Paul is taking any of Onesimus' debt, right? So he owes Philemon now, and so Paul is basically saying, no, instead of me owing you money, you owe me your very life. See, Paul had a temporal debt to Philemon, but Philemon had a spiritual debt to Paul. Um, One is greater than the other. So Philemon was no longer a slave to sin because of Paul, and that's what he's getting at, right? You owe me your even uh, your own self. The spiritual debt Philemon had far exceeded anything that Paul had for Philemon. And he says, yes, brother, I want some benefit. And so the brother, again, showing that close connection between the two. And then he says benefit, which is an interesting word yet again. It's onenemai, um, which is very close to Onesimus. It's where we get the word Onesimus. So it is possible that he is doing another play on words here. Um, I want some benefit from you. So that's the first thing, right? The To the evangelist, he owes much. Um, but also to the believer, right? He says, again, I want some benefit. Um, and this kind of seems selfish. When I was initially reading the text, I knew this would be a point in which I had to do a little bit more study. Um, because if I said this to someone, you would be like, well, Caden, you know, you're only saved by grace through grace, right? He doesn't owe you anything. Um, so we do have to take a close look at it. And we have to remember the reason for the benefit. That is, um, Paul is saved through Philemon. Okay, so he's talking about the benefit. He says, 
if you save someone through grace, this is basically what he's saying, if you bring them to Christ, do they owe you anything? That's what we're talking about here. That's the question we have to ask. And the thing is, isn't seeing them come to Christ a benefit enough? That's what I was thinking when I initially read the text. Um, and this can be very hard to understand for us, I think, in this modern-day culture, um, in our culture in particular, um, where we see our relationship to Christ as a very personal relationship, right? That's the word we use. We use a personal relationship with Christ. And even though that is true, right, we can all say that confidently, but we say that to the point where we exclude all others, even believers, right? We just make it as just me and Christ, and that is it. We just exclude all else. But we forget that when we become saved, we become part of one body in Christ. And so it is not just you. You're not walking this faith alone. You have others with you. We go from a single person being condemned to one body in Christ, all of us. And so you can recall the quote I said a little, I think in my first sermon, it says, real faith and love will inevitably result in concern for fellowship, right? There is no place for individualism in the body of Christ. That's MacArthur. And so there's no place at all, right? You go from being one under condemnation to one in Christ, because there's only one body. And so Paul wants to see some benefit in the body. And that benefit is he wants to see an active faith in Philemon. And we can turn to Romans 1.17 for this. It says, For in the righteousness of God is revealed from, uh, from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we see that the righteous live by faith. This is what Paul wants Philemon to do. Live by faith. Live it out. And in doing so, he will forgive Onesimus. That will be the benefit. See, so when he applies the debt he owes to Paul, when Philemon applies the debt he owes to Paul to that situation, he is living out his faith in Christ. And that will refresh Paul's heart. Um, and so we see, we can easily see a lot of verses that talk about faith and works, right? James 2, 14 through 26 would definitely come to your mind, right? Faith without works is useless. And so Paul wants to be refreshed through seeing a living faith. And that is the benefit, right? The benefit of seeing two brothers in Christ work out their faith in love for one another, forgiving one another. And we also could turn to Philippians 2.2, which says, Complete my joy and being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord um, and of one mind, right? Paul will find much comfort and joy in them having the same love for one another. And so that's the benefit. And when you think about this, we owe a lot to a lot of people, um, this principle of owing a spiritual debt applies beyond the situation of Paul and Philemon. It applies to us as well, and I was really thinking about it. Um, when you just think, we have gained so much um, spiritual 
gain from other people in our lives because of fellowship through teaching, right? And I was thinking about myself, right? Who are the people I owe? Um, obviously, the first one that came to my mind was my parents who were godly, right? They raised me in a godly home. They taught me how to love scripture, how to obey scripture, how to live by scripture. Um, they even led me to Christ, right? That is a, a debt that I could never pay back. I owe them my very life in more in more ways than one. Um, but even my Sunday school teachers, right, who taught me the scriptures throughout my whole entire life, taught me to obey them, reprimanded me at times when they had to. Or friends, right, friends who held me accountable to the things we were learning. I owe them a spiritual debt. And the thing is, I was also thinking about it, it doesn't take much time for you to acquire this spiritual debt to others. Um, I'm in debt to this church for helping me continue to grow in my own faith, and especially in my ministry, right? We're all growing together. I'm in debt to Pastor Bill, who has uh, encouraged me and taught me, even just the past few months, right? Both in conversations and in preaching, There is a rich spiritual gain I have gained from him through our fellowship, right? Or even the deacons who I've learned much through, through our discipleship program, through our studies as deacons, or even just as their godly example as men who minister, pray for, and have a heart for the body of Christ, right? So these are all spiritual debts that I've gained within just the last nine months or so. And this is a debt I can't really pay back, right? I owe much to many people. And the thing is, you're probably sitting there and probably thinking about all the people you owe, or at least you should be considering it. There are many people in your life who you have gained from spiritually um, that you just can't pay back. And so when you think about that in those terms, right, and you think about when a brother or sister in Christ owes you or wrongs you, Just remember how much you owe others spiritually. And the thing is, whatever you owe them, you just can't pay back, right? You think about it. When you learn something, when you're taught something, it's a spiritual truth that you can have your entire life, and it will remain true. You will have that truth for eternity. You can't put a price on that. So we owe much to a lot of people, right? And so you remember that. You remember what you owe, then forgive. And so we owe a lot to the evangelists, as I said, to other believers, but we owe a lot to Christ. He says, refresh my heart in Christ, right? And he says, refresh my heart. And we've seen this word heart come up quite about uh, quite a bit, right? It's Splanka, it's the inner depths of Paul, right? Remember when he said, I'm sending you my very heart, that is Onesimus. He's sending his very inner depths, his bowels is what it literally translates. And so it's used three times, verse 7, 12, and 20, and I was looking at them because it's kind of interesting, the progression of thought within the word heart. Because first of all, in verse 7, he says, you have refreshed the hearts of the saints, right? That he has encouraged them. They feel refreshed when they're with Philemon. And then he says, I'm sending you my very heart. And now in this verse, he says, refresh my heart. Do you kind of see the progression there? You have refreshed believers. I am sending you my heart, and I need my heart refreshed. And you're going to do that by forgiving Philemon. Just kind of interesting. 
how he uses the word heart there. Um, but of course, when you think about that, failing to forgive would be the opposite of refreshing to Paul. Um, he would not find joy and comfort in unforgiving spirit, right? He would not be refreshed. He would be sad, maybe angered. I, the word came to mind was worn out, tired. So he wants to be refreshed through Philemon's forgiveness. And so we have to remember, right, to Christ, because we have to remember that Christ first forgave you. And this is a theme that's come up quite a bit, but it's a theme we need to remember, right? A lot of problems would be solved if we just remembered that Christ forgave you, if you just had that on your own mind when you're dealing with others, right? Ephesians 4.32, we've quoted this. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So it's a common theme, but it is central to our understanding of forgiveness. So we must bring it up. Because, right, if you realize the extent of what Christ did for you, how much he forgave you, you will not hesitate to forgive other people as well. And so we can look at this, and we have to turn to, when you read commentaries on Philemon, a common verse that always comes up is in Matthew 18, so turn with me. It's Matthew eighteen twenty one through 35. And so it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. There's a lot of correlation between Philemon and this. And so we're just going to read this. So it's 21, 18, 21, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, do I do not say to you seven times, but 70, uh, 77 times. I think some verses say 70 times seven. Um, but the point is an infinite number, right? No one's going to count that many times. Um, and it's very interesting because Peter probably thought he was being pretty generous. He's like seven times because the rabbis at the time were saying it was three. So he's like, well, I'll double it plus one seven times. That seems like a fair enough, right? And Jesus is basically saying no. You just forgive. It's 70 times, 77 times. And so you just do it. But then he continues on to tell the story, right? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents is like just an infinite number. This guy is never going to pay this back. There's no way. It's never going to happen. And so, and since he could not pay his master, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, children, um, and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, I have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of his debt. Now that's a huge thing, right? This is a debt that he will never pay back and the master just forgives him out of the goodness of his heart. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. This was about three months' wage. So nothing in compared to what he was just forgiven. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and pay, and I will pay you. And he refused, and he went 
and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And the thing is about that is you're not going to make much money in prison. So when you do that, you know, it's just extended if you're ever going to pay it back at all. When his fellow servants saw that he had taken, uh, that he had taken, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And real quickly, it's very interesting that, where is the accountability here, right? The accountability is with the other servants who see what happens and say, this is a wrong that is happening. He was just forgiven so much and now he's, forcing this other guy to be in prison. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should uh, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so pretty intense story, right? That guy is in jail for life. That's what that means. He's never going to pay back that debt. And so it's very interesting, right? And that the last 35 verse is so, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And that's why it's important, right? That's important. Why Paul is appealing to Philemon, right? It has to come from the heart. It is not something that Philemon can just do flippantly. He has to forgive him. And this is something that Paul understands, right? But it's the same principle, except for in this story, he doesn't do it correctly, right? The man who was forgiven so much, the servant, therefore is demanding from someone else what he should just forgive, right? So again, we see the bad side of it. If you are forgiven so much, then you also forgive others. So again, Jesus forgave you of a debt you could never pay back. So no matter what people on this earth do to you, it is small in comparison to your sin Christ paid on the cross. The second thing we are going to learn is that believers must forgive. We know that Philemon will do what is requested, right? He says, confident of your obedience. Um, so writing this letter really shows that, right? Instead of Paul going personally to Philemon to make sure he does forgive him, he has enough confidence that he just writes a letter saying, Here, please forgive Onesimus as you would any other anyone else. So he knew that he would forgive him because of his good character, as we looked at in verses 4 through 7. But it's not only that, he's going to do more than what is requested of him. He says, you will do even more than I say. And what is the more? That's the question we have to ask. And when you read commentaries, they straight jump to emancipation. That must be what it is, right? Here's a slave returning to his master. But I think it is wrong to assume that it could only be emancipation. Um, It could be one of the options, right? But there's a lot of other things that this more could be. Um, he could be sending him back to Paul as a slave even to help Paul in his own missionary journey or in jail. Or giving Onesimus the chance to do whatever he wants to say, right? Onesimus, do you want to stay here with me or do you want to go with Paul, right? And when you think about it in that terms, it could be even better to be a slave at that point, right? If he sends you to go be with Paul, because right slaves, we already talked about in the first sermon, was 
They had food, clothing, and shelter all provided by their masters. So when you think about it in that way, Onesimus would have been essentially the first missionary, right? Philemon would say, I will send you to Paul to go do your work. You do what you need to do for Paul, and I'll provide everything for you. So that would be an even better option for Onesimus. And so there's a lot of things that this more could be, but it's safe to say you don't want to assume he's talking directly about emancipation. So Philemon will do what is mandated by Christ. And the thing is, we need to remember that we need to forgive and we need to do it without a limit, right? In Matthew 18, 21 through 22, we just looked at it. It's 70 times or 77 times. That's what Jesus said. He's basically saying, just forgive. Just keep doing it. Don't worry about um, how many times you've done it. Just do it. Again, we've talked said it a lot, but the forgiveness placed on us through Christ is eternal. It is infinite. Therefore, um, we shouldn't limit our forgiveness on others. But we should do it no matter the offense. I like what in Luke 17 3 through 4, it says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. This story, because this is like one that could come up, like people could ask you, well, what if it happens like a bunch of times in the same day and they keep coming to me and they keep repenting? What do I do, right? That's like a logical question, I feel like. And so, what does he say? You must forgive, right? And you have to get the right context, right? The guy sins, he repents from his sins, he's asking for forgiveness, you forgive. Even if it's seven times in one day, right? And when you think about forgiveness and repentance, there's really two miracles, and those are the two miracles. There's the repentance and there's the forgiveness, Inwardly, you should forgive, even if he doesn't necessarily repent, right? If you think about Luke um, 6, 27 through 28, it says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. And here's the thing. If you're holding malice against that person, if you're holding anger against that person, can you truly love that person? And so there's a, a point where you must come to the point where you, if they come to you, you will forgive them. That's what we're called to. But So even though you can forgive them inwardly, the fullness of forgiveness is found when both come together, right? You have the one who repents from his sins and asks for forgiveness, and then you have the one who forgives. And again, you can't have that forgiveness if you come to that point with an unforgiving, grudging attitude. So your attitude before you get to that point is important, right? You're supposed to love those and bless those who curse you. And the thing is, you have to remember that Christ forgave you of all your sins, right? While you were still a sinner, right? Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? If Christ waited for us, we would be in a bad situation, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And so the third thing we're going to learn here in this verse, or these verses is that believers are held accountable. He says, I will come. I will be graciously given to you, is how he says. And so we've noted that Paul makes a lot of appeals in these, right? And they're kind of subtle, right? He's talking about Paul or Philemon's good character, basically saying, hey, look, you have all these good qualities about you. Therefore, you should forgive Onesimus because of your good characters. They're kind of subtle, but this is like the least subtle of all the things Paul says, right? He's saying, I am going to come. <laughs> I'm going to see the result of what you did, right? I like what J.V. Lightfoot says. He says, there's a gentle compulsion in the mention of a personal visit to Colossae. The apostle would thus be able to see for himself that Philemon himself had not disappointed his expectations. And that's really what he's doing, right? I'm coming. I'm going to see the result. And the thing is, he's coming through your prayers, through Philemon's and the churches. The your and you here are plural, actually. So he kind of switches back to the church, his family, um, and Philemon. Um, and that is the means by which he is going to be released. Um, the, your prayers. It is a gift of God through the prayers of the saints that Paul is going to be released. And I like James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Um, and so it is through these powerful prayers that Paul is going to be released. It is the very prayers of Philemon who is has to make this decision, right? Is he going to pray um, for Paul to come? And can he do that with a clear conscience if he doesn't forgive Onesimus, right? How can he pray for Paul to come and be released for prison if he doesn't forgive? So therefore, he also must forgive. Again, I noted that the you're here and I will come to you. These are all plural. So he will come through his prayers, through the church's prayers, through his family prayers. Um, and know what Philemon did and hold him accountable to that. The fourth thing we're going to see, we only have five things, just in case you're wondering. Um, believers will lose fellowship in unforgiveness, right? And they'll lose it with man is what we see here clearly in this verse, right? Verse 23 is where we're at. He says, my fellow Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends his greeting to you. And so do Mark, uh, Aristarchus. Demas and Luke, my fellow worker, I, all these people know about this letter and all these people will know the outcome of what happens here, what transpires, right? You have Epaphras who is, we mentioned it, the pastor at Philemon's house who happened to be with Paul, which is likely how Paul knew of Philemon's character, how he was living out his faith. He probably heard it from Epaphras. Then you have Mark and Luke who wrote the Gospels, their own Gospels, by their own name. And then you have Aristarchus, who was a Jewish believer, and then Demas, who was still with Paul at the time. And if you may have heard of Demas before, and sadly in Second Timothy 4.10 it says, it says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And so Demas was sadly one of the people who deserted Paul uh, when he needed it. 
in the end, all these men knew about the situation and that fellowship with them would be lost or slightly broken if he failed to forgive Onesimus, right? And it's just plain to see, right? If I had to forgive someone and I couldn't, there would be a fellowship lost there, right? Especially if it was another believer in the church. How can you look at me and not think he didn't forgive him even though he has been forgiven for so much, even though he had so much of a spiritual debt to others, right? So that's the first thing with man. The second thing is with God, right? In Matthew six fourteen through 15, Pastor Bill has already looked at this in previous sermons uh, as he's going through this Matthew. But it says, For if you forgive others your trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Struggle there. Again, this is not losing our our salvation, but this is losing our fellowship with God, right? That's important, obviously. When uh, This is when God has to deal with a hardened and unforgiving heart, right? But the thing is, the wonderful thing is, if we confess, we know we will forgive, be forgiven, right? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's a wonderful thing we have with God, our fellowship. We can never take it for granted. And so the final thing is a closing benediction here in verse 25. He says, Then the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so the grace of God was needed to make such an important decision. The time has come, right? Philemon, you must make the decision. Um, and also him and his church, right? There's a lot of people watching him and what he is going to do. He's probably reading this letter out loud to the church, thinking, okay, i got to make a decision now. Onesimus is here. The church is here. They know about the situation. What am I going to do? So may the grace of God be with you and your church as you make this decision. And so that's really the end of this book. Um, But the thing is, it's not the end of the story. And so we can assume Philemon did forgive Onesimus. Um, and one of the main reasons we can see is this book was circulated throughout the church in the early times, right? And I doubt it would be circulated if Philemon didn't forgive Onesimus and be that example he needed to be, right? It would, it would undermine the message of the book itself if Philemon didn't forgive. And the thing is, Paul also likely saw them, right, when he was released for prison, right? And we don't have a letter talking about (laughs) reprimanding Philemon for not forgiving. And so we can assume that Philemon did out of his good character um, and his faith and love for all of the saints. Um, But Ignatius in Smyrna wrote to the Ephesian church before being martyred and said, I received your large congregation in the person of Onesimus, your bishop in this world, a man whose love is beyond words. And so it can't actually be confirmed that this Onesimus is the Onesimus that we find in Philemon. At this point, Onesimus would have been pretty old, um, but it is surmised that it, it could have been. But how fitting of an end of a story, right? The man who was so loved by Paul, by Philemon, by Jesus Christ, had a love that is beyond words. 
And so the thing is, I was going to try to find a wonderful modern-day story about forgiveness to close out this study. Um, but I'd rather have you look inward, um, your own story. Um, and is that story marked with love and forgiveness for others, you who have benefited from so many others and have been forgiven by Jesus Christ? When people meet you, write about you, or talk about you, do they say you are a man or woman whose love is beyond words? And so with that, we're actually going to close in a word of prayer. And so, Father, we thank you that you have given us this small but yet very impactful book of Philemon. We just thank you that we got to take a look at Forgiveness of the character of forgiveness, the one who forgives and why we should forgive. And I pray that as we go out through this world, we would remember um, the forgiveness that you placed on us through your son, Jesus Christ. Um, and we would have that as a central focus of our life and that we would live that out in faith and love for others. And we just thank you and praise you for everything that you have done, you are doing, and will continue to do in this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.